Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. If you have your Bibles, if you'll join me in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 35. This is week three of our series that we are calling The Way, where we are discovering the transformational power of Christ Jesus, his teaching. Now, if you're doing the math and you're like, man, we are in week three and we are still in chapter one, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. All right. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35, the Word of God says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, underline, highlight, circle that word, behold. We're going to spend some time on it. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, if you will remember last week when we see John, this is referring to John the baptizer. This was the cousin of Jesus. And what we see is John is baptizing, inviting people to enter into baptism through, uh, at the River Jordan. John has one simple message, and he preaches this over and over and over. And the message is this, repent. For the kingdom of God, it is near. John is also, he is beginning to address some cultural, some church issues. So he has the love language of words of encouragement. I mean, that, is, that's, that comes natural to him. So he's looking at all of the church leaders, and he is saying things like, do you know what the problem is? It's not the government problem is you. You're the problem. It's a heart issue. And he encourages them by calling them a basket of vipers. He says, you are a bunch of wretched, hearted sinners. And he continues to repeat this message that Jesus, the Messiah, he has come. So he says, behold, and this word behold, it matters like crazy because it is the Greek word emblepo. It's a compound word that means in, so it means through. So it means in, and then it means through. And what he is saying in this moment is when you see Jesus, I want you to see beyond your circumstance I want you to see beyond your condition. I want you to see beyond and through all the brokenness of this world. I want you to see through all the corruption of organized religion. I want you to see beyond personal preference, grief, and loss. And I want you to see Jesus for who he is and what he came to do. 
So John is saying, you see, you see a carpenter. I see the creator of the entire world. You see a man from Nazareth. But I see a man who has come to take away the sins of the entire world. So John the Baptist, he invites us to see beyond our circumstance, beyond our condition, to a deeper understanding of what is actually happening in this moment. And when he says the word, the Passover lamb, behold, it's the Passover lamb. Everyone goes back to to the Israelite culture in which the death angel passed by to all families who had the blood. We talked about this last week over the doorpost. So Jesus is representing God's presence, his provision, his promise. And what John is saying is that this lamb, he will cover your sins for more than just one year. He will cover your sins for, for all of eternity. So verse 37 The two disciples heard John say this, and they followed Jesus. So throughout the New Testament, the thing about John the Baptist is, and man, this is my heart's desire for you and for I today. So John says this, that even though my reputation, even though my influence even though my my platform, even though it is growing and it is expanding, my life's purpose is always to point to Jesus. That's why I exist. That's why I was born. That's why I woke up this morning. I have air in my lungs. I have a heart that is beating. And as long as those two realities can be said about me, I am going to constantly point others to Jesus which is the purpose of Mount Zion. It's it's not about the music, it's not about the worship, it's not about me, or it's not about the facilities, or an awesome children's ministry. It is all about Jesus. Every decision we make, every penny that we steward, everything we do is ultimately to reach the next person for Christ Jesus. So verse 38 Jesus turns and he sees them following and he asks the question. And man, this is a deep soul level question. He asks this question and I think it's a question that he would ask of you and I this morning. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? You see, society and culture has a way in which it desires for us to never really ask this question. It wants us ultimately to avoid this question. So it creates so much distraction, so many missed opportunities. On the soul level, each and every one of us, we want to be be satisfied. We want to be filled with joy. We want contentment. We want happiness. We want peace. Each and every one of us, ultimately at the soul level, we want to know and and we want to be known. And in being known, we want to be fully accepted, fully loved, unconditionally. That's what binds us all together. 
And we do not have a problem admitting that because that's not flawed. We were created with eternity in our hearts. It's been placed there for such things. But often what we believe that we will not admit is we believe that if we can buy those pants, we'll be satisfied, happy, content. If we can get that car or expand the square footage of our house, or if we can get another degree or the degree, if we can just make our teenage son, our daughter, love us again, then then we will be happy. If I can just change him or just change her, then I'll be content. A few months ago, there was a lady who was across the street, and she had this, like, bazooka gun. It wasn't a real bazooka. It had tennis balls in it. And she would launch these tennis balls across the field. Beside her was this greyhound dog. And when this dog ran, you knew this dog was created for such. He was created to run. It was poetry in motion. It was something beautiful. So I got into a conversation with this lady, and I learned something about greyhound racing, which I did not know. I don't know how acquainted you are with greyhound racing. But this dog, he once raced in Kentucky, and every day he would be placed behind a gate, and the announcer, he would say, here's Rusty, and from the side of your peripheral, a a stuffed rabbit would emerge out of nowhere. And those dogs, they'd be like, there he is again. I'm gonna get him. He looked like he had a a limp in his step today. I'm gonna get him. I'm gonna get him. And they would release this rabbit and these dogs would sprint with all that was in them trying to take hold of what seemed to be so evasive. What I did not know about greyhounds is that sometimes rusty malfunctions. And the dogs, if they take hold of the rabbit, they realize that they were fooled. It's not a real rabbit. And when they realize that, they stop running. They, they won't pursue it anymore. Now, you and I, we hear that, and you think, man, what a stupid dog. I mean, what a dumb dog. I mean, he really thought that that was real? Here's the thing. Every morning, your alarm clock goes off. And your alarm clock sounds like, here's Rusty. And we wake up and we think, man, if I can just get more done. If I can just get the promotion today. If I can just fix him or if I can just fix her. I got a notification that it's supposed to be delivered today. And when I take hold of it, what's gonna satisfy me? It's gonna make me happy. And we all know that's not true. The difference between us and the greyhound is that we continue to chase him. And I want to tell you this morning something that in 43 years I know to be an absolute reality. That Christ and Christ alone must be the source of your joy Contentment, satisfaction, happiness, and purpose. In Christ, in Christ alone, 
must become our ultimate pursuit. Because at the end of the day, what each and every one of us want to do is we want to lay our head down on the pillow at night. We want to breathe in, we want to breathe out, and we want to say this. It is well with my soul. And the things of this world will not satisfy you. Because if we were honest, once again, some of us, we lay down at night and we look at everything that we have accomplished over the course of our life or just in that single day, and we think to ourselves, man, is this it? Is this it? And the answer, man, is no, it's not it. It is all about Jesus. This is why the question was asked of the women who came to see Jesus in the tomb. Why are you looking Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Time and time again, we go to dead things to bring life to us. And what sense does that make? Continuing to read verse 38. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And I I love this. Man, God is so... He is so graceful, he is so kind, he is so loving, he is so patient. So Jesus asked these men this soul, you know, searching question, what are you looking for? What's your purpose? It's gonna make you happy. And their response, I mean, can we see your apartment? Where are you staying at? I mean, they completely miss it. So how does Jesus respond in this moment? He said to them, verse 39, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour, which is about 4 p.m. So how does Jesus respond? He doesn't say, listen, you guys are obviously not ready. Go study more. Go get all your proverbial ducks in a row. Be better, do better. He doesn't say any of that, which was the message of the religious organization of that day. And Jesus says something completely different. He says, just come and see, come and see. And this word and in the Greek, it's really important because it's it's a compare and contrast word. So what Jesus is saying in this moment, in Matthew, he says, listen, I am, I am the light as opposed to what? The darkness, So when he says, and, he is saying this, there is a decision that you have to make. Either you can remain dead or you can become alive. If you stay and rely on self and the things of this world, you will remain dead. If you come after me, you will find life. You will give your life away, but you will find life for eternity. You can stay in the darkness and you can be blind, or you can come after me, you can follow me, and you can be in the light. You can truly see as you were always meant to see. Jesus is ultimately, the way we see it, say it here at Mount Zion, is he is inviting people to step into the life. The, what kind of life? The life that God has for them. A life that is free from guilt. A life that is free from shame. A life that is free from condemnation. Anytime you feel guilt, shame, or condemnation, I am not worthy to be used. That is always the voice and the strategy and the tactics of the enemy. That's never the voice of God. 
What Jesus is ultimately doing in this moment is he is inviting them into a lifestyle of discipleship, beginning the process of transformation, of entire sanctification, through progressive sanctification. So the question that I would have for you this morning is what is, what is your next step? Maybe for some of you, your next step is, is to enter into the waters of baptism. Maybe for some of you this morning, your next step is to completely and to totally surrender to the lordship of Christ Jesus, moving from simply believing that to believing in, meaning that what his word says is right, true, holy, and righteous. You actually start believing that and applying that and submitting to that. Maybe for you, your next step is, to, is to, to be involved in one of our service teams or to enter into discipleship in one of our groups, our classes, our study models. Maybe for you, if you're joining us online, hey, we love you. We're so thankful that you have joined us. But when we created the online platform, it was never meant to, to be a substitute for in-person gathering. So maybe, I know you love listening to me in your pajamas, but maybe your next step is to come back to church and to join us because we deeply desire for you to be here so that you can be transformed through the working of God's Holy Spirit in you and through you. Maybe for some of you, this is like, man, Luke, I'm killing it. I have been to church two Sundays in a row. Man, come back next Sunday. That's your next step. But everybody, within the sound of my voice, has a next step to take. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, and God bless your ministry. Some of you are thinking, man, Luke, I have done all those things. I really don't know what my next step is. I mean, I'm giving, I'm serving, I'm worshiping. I'm doing all this. I'm being discipled. Well, your next step is to disciple somebody else. It's to invite somebody else to come and see. In the church world, the longer that we are in our faith, let me say it this way, that you are twice as likely to share your faith the first two years of being saved or being rescued or coming to life than you are any other time in your existence. Meaning the longer that we are Christians, our followers of Jesus, the less likely we are to actually share our faith, our disciple others. And that's a problem. And that's a problem that you and I, we can actually do something about. So if you are somebody that you're searching, you're trying to figure out what your next step is, maybe it's investing in other people with the purpose of sending out. Oftentimes in church world, what we do is we find a group of people that we really love and we like, and we have this this strategy of us four, no more. And everybody's like, man, I'd love to come and see. I would love to be a part of that group. And we say, no, 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 we're, we're comfortable To be a follower of Jesus requires what? A next step. Progression. By definition, if you are following Jesus, you are moving in the direction of becoming like him more and more every single day. And what I think is plaguing the church today is that people have become comfortable And they are doing good things, 
but they are no longer growing in what it means to be like and live and to love and to lead like Christ Jesus. So I'm going to ask you again, what is your next step? Continuing in verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So the moment that they come into a relationship with Christ Jesus, the moment that they start following Jesus, what do they do? They start telling other people and inviting other people to come and see. Verse 42 He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, Follow me. So Andrew didn't waste any time either. The moment that he became a follower of Jesus, he began to invite people. He found his brother, and he said, hey, you have to come and see Jesus, the one that we have been waiting on, the one that the prophets prophesied on. I mean, you have to come and see. You have to experience this. We found Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. But what I love about this moment is that you see Jesus in this moment changing his name. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine inviting someone and I meet them for the first time and I say, what is your name? And they said, my name is Fred. I'm like, you're not Fred, you're Leroy. All right, from here on out, you will be called Leroy. And you'd be like, nah, man, my daddy gave me my name. But what Jesus is doing in this moment is something far more powerful, far more intentional than simply giving him a new name. He is saying in this moment two things. One, he knows, and we see this in Matthew, that Peter will ultimately make a proclamation that you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God. You are the Lamb who has come to take away the sins of a nation. And Jesus says what? You're right, this didn't come from you, but this was revealed by my Father. But upon that proclamation, I will build my church. Therefore, your name is Rocky, right? The rock in which I will build my foundation on, which is what Peter means. But he's also doing something more than that. He is saying to him, listen, you have allowed the culture and your town and your past and your sin and your brokenness and your, your, your DNA and your family tradition and your heritage to give you identity, to define you. And that's no more. Because only your creator can truly give you an identity. Only I, can ha- only I have that authority to tell you who you are. You see, society, if you will allow it, it will put a label on you in which we will, we will live out. For some of you, you have been identified as a, as a loser or a failure, depressed, sick, baby killer, unimportant, common, a disappointment, incompetent, unwanted, burden, unworthy, not good enough, mistake, stupid, fake, worthless, broken, a drunk, nerd, fat, helpless, crazy, unaware, desperate, alcoholic, failure, incapable, too old, too young, not worthy, freak, disappointment, annoying, dumb, brat, 
addict, not enough, too much, divorce, worthless. You are not a piece of crap. You are a son, a daughter of a king. He finds more value in you than you could possibly know or imagine. He loves you relentlessly. He's not disappointed in you. He's not angry at you. He's not mad at you. He loves you. But man, our culture, our world, it'll slap a label on you because it don't want to deal with you. And according to scripture, you're a son, you're a daughter of the most high king. You're an overcomer. You are righteous, you are forgiven. You are a ruler and you are a warrior. And one day you will be with Christ Jesus forever and ever. You are not a mistake. In fact, Revelation chapter two, verse 17 says this, that one day we will be given a new name. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on that stone. And no one knows that except for me, the one who receives it. So literally, when you get to heaven, you will get a name, a new name, and it'll be the name that Jesus had when he thought of the idea, when he created the idea that became you, the you that you were always meant to be, the you that God intended when you step into that life. That's the name that you will be given. So verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Verse 44, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So what he is saying in this moment is the entire scripture that you have memorized, that you know, that you have always been taught, it is all ultimately pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the true and he is the better Adam. He is the better and more true Abel, Abraham, Noah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Job, David, Esther, Jonah, the temple, the prophet, the priest, the king, the lamb, the sacrifice, the light, and the bread. Every word that, that is, penetrates paper throughout scripture, it is all pointing to Jesus and we found him. And you have to come and see. So verse 46, so Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. I love that Philip didn't debate with him, didn't argue with him, didn't reason with him. And and I don't know if Nathaniel, if he had information like he has to come from the line of David or if he knew he had to come out of Bethlehem or if he was just prejudiced, I I don't know. But I love that Philip's response is, that's a great question. I don't have an answer for you. But all I can do is 
extend an invitation to come and see. And if you bump into Jesus, your life will be different. I imagine it would be like if you found some of my classmates that I went to high school with, and you said, you know, Luke, he's a pastor, leads a church down in Thomasville. Luke, anything good come out of Randleman? You know, it's kind of that, that, that same mindset. So if you continue to read, verse 47 and Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And once again, this word behold, because Nathanael was the one that was just now bad-mouthing Jesus, just now bad-mouthing Nazareth. So is there any deceit in him? You have to see this word behold to look beyond his circumstance, what he did, and to see the potential in him. Jesus always sees us with an irrepressible optimism. He always sees the best in us. Verse 48, so Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And what you need to be reminded of this morning it's no matter the diagnosis, no matter the brokenness, no matter the dysfunction of the marriage, no matter of the stress of parenting, no matter the pressure at work, no matter the doubt or the anger or the fear or the frustration, no matter the pain or the suffering or the woundedness because of him or because of her, what you need to know is that Jesus sees you where you are and he cares. He loves you with an irrepressible optimism. He sees you right where you are and he extends this invitation. So verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you will see greater things than these? And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending unto the Son of Man. And I think in this moment, I think that Jesus, this is complete conjecture, so I, I can't prove it, this is just what I think. I believe Nathaniel was, was reading, was studying Genesis chapter 28, where Jacob's ladder, where the angels are ascending and descending from heaven. And I think that in this moment, Jesus is making Nathaniel aware that, that I know you, I see you. And what's really awesome in this moment is that Jesus saw him under this fig tree, and when the creator God created that fig tree, he knew that this conversation would take place and he knew that that fig tree would be used as a proving ground in Nathaniel's life, meaning there really are no coincidence. Everything is for his glory. So the question that I have for you in closing is this, who are you inviting to come and see? Who are you inviting to come and see? Who are you inviting to come and to meet Christ Jesus. This is what I know. That I want my life, every word that I speak, everything that I do, I ultimately want it to point to Christ Jesus. And we don't have to pray about this. We don't have to think about this. 
We don't have to consider this. If you are a follower of Jesus, it is your duty, it is your responsibility, it is required of you to invite people to come and see, to experience Christ Jesus. What does this look like? Maybe for you tomorrow morning, you're gonna go into work and you're gonna ask the question, hey, what did you do this weekend? And they're gonna tell you, man, we watched the UFC fight or we watched basketball or we had, we had a ball game or whatever it's gonna be, but we live in the South. So what do they have to do? They have to say, I, I, what did you do? And maybe for you, you say, man, I went to church this Sunday. We're in this new study. We're in this new series called The Way and we're unpacking John's gospel. Next Sunday, this Sunday, we're gonna be talking about Jesus turning water into wine. That's kind of crazy. Won't you come and see? And don't offer a, a non-vite. You know what a non-vite is? Someday, you, look on your calendar. There is no someday. This Sunday, come and see. So with every head bowed and with every eye closed, I really feel impressed upon me this morning that for many of us, the reason that we don't invite others to come and see, the reason that we don't invite other people to come and experience Jesus is because we don't feel either worthy to do so because sometimes our lives don't align with, with Christ's message and we don't wanna be considered a hypocrite. Or maybe we have become comfortable or maybe for some of us, we, we fear being rejected because of past hurt. I was reading this week where Jesus, he is walking down the road and he sees a fig tree that isn't producing fruit. So he, he curses it. The problem with that is that it wasn't the season that the fig tree should have been producing fruit. And as I wrestled with this conundrum, I believe the Spirit revealed in me a word that I would like to give to you today. Only Jesus can expect fruit from an impossible situation. Meaning that no matter the situation you find yourself in, fruit can come from it. If you will just allow Christ to be your source and to be your identity. So if you are comfortable, would you just extend your hand to your right or to your left? And I wanna commission you this morning and I want you to pray for the person beside you the way that you wish someone would pray for you. And I want you to pray that they will receive a boldness, that they will receive encouragement from the Holy Spirit, that they will receive a name, a word, a person, not a project to fix, but someone who 
is blind that needs sight. Someone who is dead in the flesh but needs to come alive in Christ Jesus. Would you also pray that God would place that name upon their heart this morning? They're one more. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your love, for your presence. And God, we thank you for the beautiful example that we found discovered in your word this day. And Father, we have to admit that for many of us, we have become comfortable in our journey. So God, at this moment, would you reveal our next step that we are to take in the discipleship journey that you have called us to. And God, for followers of Jesus, we understand that we are required to share the good news, that we are to use our time, our talent, our treasure, our tongue, not to obtain the things of this world that will never ultimately satisfy, but ultimately to steward all things for your glory, for your purpose to advance your kingdom here on earth. So God, I pray that you will loosen the chains that have held us captive from sharing your good news. God, I pray now that through the empowering of your Holy Spirit, that you, that you will grow us in our faith and in our courage. God, that the impossible will occur because of your provision, your promise, and your presence. God, I pray in this moment that you will lay upon our hearts a burden for that that burdens your heart. So God, that people that are close to us but far from you will come to know you, to surrender ultimately to your lordship. And God, give us the courage, the audacity to believe that you are calling to partner with us here on earth to impact all of eternity. So God, will you birth in our heart those names in this moment? May we see those names. And Father, may we develop a burden for those names. And Father, may we be faithful in sharing your truth this week to those names. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, and we're not done yet. So we're gonna continue to worship. But if you have those names on your heart, and you wanna bring those names to the altar this morning, then we wanna invite you to come and to ultimately surrender your life and your will to that of Christ Jesus. That this day you will choose faithfulness over comfort and that you will risk it all just to lead one more person to Christ Jesus. So if we can pray with you about that, would you come to the altar as we continue to worship? Would you please stand to your feet?
Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.